0: Uh, beneath, after all his stuff is stolen, he and Sancho come into prison, and and all of he's he's brought in like his his traveling acting stuff. Uh, Cervantes yeah, I, is a <laughs> and that's always an
1: odd part of the story that they bring in this trunk full of costumes and props. <laughs> like for some reason, the Inquisition has let them keep this in prison, yep. which apparently is full of swords. Yep. And a so, lance? Yep. <laughs> like why they let them carry this into prison is sort of beyond me. <laughs> Hello, no script listeners. Welcome back. This is No Script, the podcast, an unscripted conversation about theater's best scripts. I'm Jacob Christensen.
0: And I'm Jackson Nikolai.
1: Welcome. We are currently living in the middle of February. It is probably snowy and cold where you are. I have the <laughs> fortunateness to be living in Arkansas. So it's probably not snowy and cold right now for me.
0: <laughs> Sorry
1: about that for you all. I can only feel happy for me,
0: unfortunately. <laughs> And I'm enjoying the snow, surely, where I'm at, uh, being the more Norse of us. Uh, (laughs) But we're going to kind of dream about other things this week. We're going to kind of talk about a play that is um, looking on the, not cold, looking on the bright side of life, perhaps, and and, uh, envisioning a brighter future, or summer. Um, That was a rough connection. (laughs) spring play
1: it's a, it's a spring it's a spring
0: play it's it's yes it's, you exactly the things are, the play that we are the future alluding to is man of la mancha by dale Wasserman and music and lyrics by joe darian and mitch lay
1: yes man of la mancha personal favorite of mine it's very tough to say things like this is my favorite play or my fa- <laughs> but so i don't i don't want to ever say stuff like that but definitely top 5 favorite musicals probably top three, maybe top, I don't know, that would be tough when you get down to those couple of musicals that I really love, but I have always loved Man of La Mancha, since I was little, uh, I loved it, especially in high school, I fell in love with it, and then when I got to college, I was just begging and begging and begging our professors to do Man of La Mancha, and so... When we were in college together, Jackson and I, this is the first, we believe, the first script in no script history that Jackson and I have acted in together. Yes, indeed. You, you you may have known from our other episodes that we've like kind of done things with scripts together before. I was on the technical team while Jackson was acting in our wilderness. We did a scene from True West together for a class at one point. But this is the first full length production that we both acted in.
0: Yes, indeed, and we played some pretty, you know, pretty prominent roles in it. I played Don <laughs> Quixote in that one, and you were Sancho. And yeah, I was Sancho. Yes, we were the we were the pair. I was the uh, the straight man
1: at times, and sometimes the comic relief. Sancho's a weird role, and you were uh, that yeah. that just classic, famous Don Quixote, the one of the most recognizable <laughs> characters from musical theater, up there with the Tevias and the mm-hmm. uh, Jean Valjeans
0: yes yes, and but before we get kind of into the the uh, the reasons for that and the history of this play and why it's so tied into kind of the theatrical uh, experience especially of American musicals we did want to just take a second and thank everyone over at patreon who have gone over there um, and and signed up for different memberships thank you for uh, helping us out with the show monetarily we have a couple of great tiers over there with different sorts of rewards that you get for different levels of membership so if you want to support no script head on over to to Patreon and uh, give us uh, give us some love over there, and we'll we'll be turning out some cool rewards for you there as well.
1: In a similar vein, we wanted to let everybody know that we are two weeks from Miller Months. Miller this episode, month. then another episode, then another episode. Finally, when we hit that first week of March, it's Miller Month. We'll be doing four plays of Arthur Miller's in a still-yet-to-be-determined order. We will be doing The Crucible, The Death of a Salesman, A View from a Bridge, and All My Sons. In just a few short weeks, So I hope you're looking forward to that. We certainly are. Arthur Miller has uh, a high, high, high place in the history of American theater.
0: Yes, indeed. Put those plays on your nightstand and read them in the next couple of weeks.
1: So, to return to the subject of this conversation, the great, wonderful Man of La Mancha. Man of La Mancha was written and conceived in 1965, the book by Dale Wasserman. Dale Wasserman, I've I've actually read kind of his story of coming to this script. He, He always likes to tell people, or liked at least at the time, to really emphasize that this musical is not really supposed to be an adaption of the famed Don Quixote novel. There's some significant differences between the musical and the book. This is really sort of a separate story with allusions to maybe based on the novel, but but not a, a faithful adaption, nor is it really a faithful adaption of uh, Cervantes' actual life. He actually never had a run-in with the Inquisition, as is presented in this play. Uh, Wasserman wrote the play, uh, I, Don Quixote. It was a teleplay. He unsuccessfully tried to get it adapted into a stage play, but then somebody in musical theater finally said to him, the only way this is going to work as a stage play in 1965 is if you make it a musical and so he did it he worked with joe darian and mitch lee actually joe darian's lyrics uh came later on i don't have the name of the person who wrote the original, original lyrics, but but they apparently were discarded in favor of Joe Darian's lyrics, but they, that group worked together to produce Man of La Mancha, first produced in Connecticut at the uh, Goodspeed Opera House, that was in 1965, then it moved off Broadway in New York, and then on Broadway in New York, and was on Broadway, it's now been four revivals from the original 1965 production, or 19, you know, late 1960s production, so we're talking five times on Broadway, most recently being 2002. Of course, in 1972, there was the famous movie Man of La Mancha adaption, Peter O'Toole, as Don Quixote, with his singing being dubbed, as we all know. You can definitely tell when you watch <laughs> the movie that it's not him singing. Um, but that's that. It's that 70s. got some of that 70s charm, I think. Um, it, 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 Man of La Mancha, like Fiddler on the Roof, is sort of in the lexicon of musical theater, one of the most regularly produced musicals, at least in America, I think probably in the world as well. It's, uh, it has that kind of deep-rooted history as part of it.
0: And often, often sung songs as well, especially The Impossible Dream was covered uh, a lot in the, oh, in yeah, the it, 1900s. It's and a
1: standard of American
0: music, not just yeah. American musical theater, The Impossible Dream. Hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. So it's it's it is a well known one. You've likely interacted with one of the versions that Jacob has um, uh, described so far. But we did want to give you just a short, uh, really just the the initial setting for this, and everything else kind of flows out of the initial setting. Um, as he mentioned, Dale Wasserman wrote this story as kind of a, a fictional examination of Don Miguel de Cervantes, who um, is the uh, the 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 individual who wrote Don Quixote. I Don Quixote. Um, he is brought into prison in the in the context of the play within the uh, the Spanish Inquisition. Uh, they bring him in for, as as we discover later on, uh, some interactions that he had with a monastery and how he uh, taxed them um, and required them to pay him money. So he's brought into prison, and, and this uh, is
1: end of the sixteenth century, dirty, smelly underground prison. You can imagine what you think of as debtors' prison. Pretty comparable
0: hmm. Yep. And and in this prison, there is a whole collection of individuals who are also in prison. And right away he is put on trial uh, beneath. After all his stuff is stolen, he and Sancho come into prison and, and all of he's he's brought in like his his traveling accidents stuff. Uh, Cervantes yeah, it, is a... <laughs> and that's always an
1: odd part of the story that they bring in this trunk full of costumes and props. <laughs> like, for some reason, the Inquisition has let them keep this in prison, yep. which apparently is full of swords. <laughs> Yep. And so, a lance?
0: Yep. <laughs> like,
1: why they let them carry this into prison is sort of beyond me. <laughs> yeah. Let's, uh, let's let them come in armed. That's even a good if idea. they let them keep it, like, you might almost want to keep the weapons outside the door. Yeah. Of the, uh, you know, the dangerous thugs and murderers.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yep. So he, he describes himself as a poet and, and uh, uh, a lover of theater. And so when he is put on trial as part of his defense, um, he he puts on a play for the people in the prison a charade he's a charade yes <laughs> and uh basically just gets them to to buys time for himself by telling this pretty long story about don quixote who is uh this this uh this individual who owns land in the country of la mancha um and uh he uh, experiences a uh, Let's say a dream to go out and and fight and and be an honorable knight in a, in a time when knights and knight errants are no longer a thing in Spain. <laughs> And uh, he so Cervantes weaves this story of Don Quixote by jumping into the role of Don Quixote and getting all of the different prisoners in the cell to play the various roles of the play.
1: Right, and Jackson, what's at stake for Cervantes if he is if he loses this trial by the other prisoners? What is what is Cervantes putting on the play as a defense
0: to to keep? Right, so they they steal all his stuff. Basically, they pass sentence on him, and they're they're going to steal all of his things. Uh, the the there's a character called the Governor, who is kind of the the head honcho in the uh, in the prison, and. Um, and they're they're gonna take everything, but there is one thing that Cervantes is holding on to as they steal all his stuff, and that is this large kind of bound bunch of paper, which is a manuscript, assumedly.
1: Well, we learn we learn only really at the end what it what it what the
0: papers contain. We think right, which is probably Don Quixote, probably the, <laughs> the, the novel. actual
1: novel Don Quixote,
0: right? Yeah. Um, and so, uh, someone steals that from him, and they're about to burn it. And he says, "Wait, wait, wait! I need a trial. You got to give me a trial. Let me try to win you over." Basically, he admits that he's guilty of the things they accuse him of, which is like being a bad poet. And <laughs> all right, the,
1: the 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 prisoner that takes on the role of being. The prosecutor is called the duke. The, the, the prisoners, some of them have sort of odd names like that, the governor and the, and the duke. So the duke, quote unquote, says that I want to prosecute this trial. And he accuses Cervantes of being an idealist, a bad poet and an honest man.
0: Yep. (laughs) To which uh, he more or less pleads guilty to, but then gets them to listen to him and try to draw out so that he can win them over and hopefully get his book back.
1: And yeah, and as Jackson said, the defense that he offers is a play in which he asks the other prisoners to participate in sort of, you know, one of those unique situations that is divorced from what would really happen and only exists in the land of musical theater,
0: Yep. <laughs> yeah, this, this like play within a play business where it's, it's you s- seamlessly roll between the two and and, uh, jump and, like, in and these out.
1: hardened thieves and murderers hop in to play these roles with lines <laughs> that they already know, right? Somehow, <laughs> uh, or or they're improvising brilliantly, possibly. Right, right. And then, so it's like there's a there's the play within the play, right? Cervantes putting on a play within the play, Man of La Mancha. There's also the trial within the trial. Right. The trial of uh, Don Miguel de Cervantes by the prisoners in the midst of his, the trial of Don Miguel de Cervantes by the Spanish Inquisition. <laughs>
0: yeah, it's, it's pretty inception level, Uh <laughs> <laughs> and there's there's some throughout the play there's kind of these moments of coaching that ends up happening especially if you are um uh, in a production that stresses that which we we did a little bit um where Cervantes will like walk people on and start them doing something and then kind of fade into the background about the same time that you forget that you're watching a play within a play Cervantes will fade away and then come back as Don Quixote um which is a pretty masterful bit of writing in terms of like timing of that and 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 figuring out when you lose focus on that that part of but it. But
1: the, the outer context of this prison where Cervantes is being held to be tortured uh, as part of the Spanish Inquisition and likely burned at the stake the, the, that context does creep into the play and as he's telling his story Cervantes finds himself interrupted two, three times by the that environment where he's forced to defend himself against the Duke who at one point stops the play to say this is a ridiculous way to do it and, and you know we should just try him and, and beat him and kill him or take all his stuff or whatever and then later on the men of the Inquisition come and enter into what was supposed to be this sort of sacred theatrical space that Cervantes is creating and they enter in on that to haul away another prisoner and then later near the end of the show someone comes to say, Cervantes, it's almost time. And so that kind of creeps into the telling of the story as well and Cervantes is forced to play this role of the gracious, positive storyteller while his life is being threatened by both trials, the trial by the prisoners and the trial (laughs) by the Inquisition.
0: Yeah, yeah, which he manages to maintain to various effects throughout. I think what we get to go on with with along just the the ride of this play, which basically is you know the the tour guide for this ride is Cervantes. He's taking us and the prisoners along this story that he is constructing, which is uh, assumedly the the novel he is writing as well. Um, however, we're also asked to kind of go on this journey of Cervantes, who is this individual who. It's kind of, kind of very similar to Don Quixote. Gets beat down a lot. And for some reason keeps getting up. Um, part of uh, Dale Wasserman's—I I read a brief, a brief bit as I was re- researching it about how he um, researched Cervantes for this. And he's a guy who went to prison a lot and and kept coming in and out of prison. He fought in a bunch of wars and uh, he just got beat down a lot. And somehow he kept on pushing on um, to to various uh, success and 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 ultimately writing this book. And I think that's the journey we get to go on with. Cervantes. Gervantes as well throughout this play is seeing him get beaten down and variably get back up again.
1: And we see, I think, in one of the really poignant moments of the show, which is outside of the play within the play, just in the play, yeah. uh, so the Cervantes prison part of the play, we get to see the prisoner sort of ask him why he would even imagine a character that lives in imagination and in positivity and in imagining that the world can be better than it is and that the world not only can be but ought to be better than it is. And Cervantes gives, I think, a sort of touching response. As you played Cervantes, Jackson, what what does he tell us about why this ideology of the world is better than you think it is? It's not this sort of muck wretchedness uh, that's around us, the the Don Quixote-esque dreaming of the
0: impossible dream. Why? I think because he's lived such this, this, this kind of mucky life and there's so much awfulness in, in the world uh, that he's experienced. He talks about, again, as I, as I mentioned before, he talks about going to Africa and, and fighting in Africa during the wars there. Um, he talks about just, just people, and he's with people in this prison who, did not have a great (laughs) experience with life. They're stuck down here. They've created a society in this prison because they've been down here so long. And and life sucks. (laughs) Right, and and so the duke says, look, life sucks. You're about to be tortured by the
1: Inquisition. We're stuck down here for being thieves and murderers. Life is awful. And the, the actual quote of the dukes is, a man must come to terms with life as it is. And Cervantes in writing the Don Quixote story says something a little bit different that life's you know life is awful in all these ways and he tells these poignant ways that he's seen violence and hurt and then what?
0: Well, and he said that life is lunatic. Life itself is crazy. So so is it is it crazier to live in life or is it crazier to try to see the best in life and 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 perhaps to uh, imagine something to dream to seek treasure where there's only trash is one of his lines he says that that is the better pursuit in the face of life which is lunatic um and 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 choosing <laughs> choosing at uh the contra choosing in the contrariance of facts to believe in these things is what he is he holds high as 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 his goal in life
1: which is an interesting outlook on the world and the musical is, is you know really inspiring and positive and and very cool in that way but i i often have thought that if you'd if people dig into *Man of La Mancha* a little more, they actually find something they probably don't agree with. Yeah, <laughs> like, absolutely. I, I don't know that I agree with uh, with this uh, outlook of Cervantes. You know, at one point Don Quixote says, "Facts are the enemy of truth." Right. Uh, if you know, if we confront the darkness of the world as it really is, then we're just going to be you know stuck in the muck like that. Instead, we need to uh, pretend that w- that we can you know live in a better world a- and. That has some advantages, and especially for people of faith, there is a sort of look at the world beyond the world, but that has some disadvantages too and some problems in how to really live a real life. And Don Quixote doesn't really live a real life as, as his madness, as the play calls it, sets in.
0: Yeah, yeah, I agree. It's all well and good for this character who his uh, his truth is to live nobly and do justly and all this stuff, and it's all well and good for that to be okay in the context of facts of the enemy of truth. But th- that line of reasoning, if carried out to its to its full extent, as maybe we are seeing sometimes in our current national situation. Um, cannot uh, sustain itself. <laughs> and and that's... I think what is ingenious about this is that that's what so many of the characters in this play wrestle with in, in this. Sure, Cervantes is this pinnacle of that. We are made to like Cervantes... Or, I'm sorry, Don Quixote in this play. And he is a strong proponent for that belief system. But there are other characters like the Padre, who is the, the, the his priest who has to kind of go out and get him and bring him home and take care of him. And they have to grapple with this because they're living in the world of facts where he has run off and he's kind of hurting his relationships around him, uh, of, of the people who depend on him and who care about him. So... I, I I don't think it comes off quite clean as like this is this must be the way that we live. But certainly, uh, uh, the, the the line "facts without truth" uh, or yeah, "facts are, are the, the enemy of truth. the enemy of truth" gets but, gets some weight.
1: And of course that that line has doesn't held up so well, especially because of things that our country has been through in the past two three years. So if you had done this play five years ago, that line might not ring as badly as right. it rings now. But what's interesting is that. I'm not sure that even Don Quixote really believes that. Because there are facts and realities that he does understand. For example, he knows who the uh, the the nephew is, or the the nie- you know the um, the doctor is who's going to marry his niece. He knows him by name. He knows the padre by name. He he recognizes some of those truths and relationships, and, and yet others he totally reimagines. You know, he lives in the world where I can treat my enemies well, which is obviously a positive thing, but also in the world where the- this dingy little inn on the side of the road that's filled with dangerous people that are probably going to beat me up is actually a castle run by a fantastic lord. Right. And some of the work that an audience has to do in figuring out what actually inspires you know what what inspires us about *Man of La Mancha*, despite the sort of emphasis on delusion, what inspires us is maybe in the difference between the delusions of Don Quixote and the core. Outlook on the world of Don Quixote, because I'm not sure the outlook on the world is one that we can
0: that we disagree that as a as a general people we disagree with. I do agree with you that that there is this like weird fine line that we have to walk. Where do we, you know, which? at what point do we go too far? <laughs> right? Like, because for the most part, he is this this very likable individual. But occasionally, and I'm thinking in my mind of a couple of the scenes where he uh, is not present to Aldanza uh, when when she she has uh, things that she is trying to say to him, and he uh, willfully uh, ignores them. just just for his narrative, he ignores her story. <laughs> and tells her what her story is, I think there are times when his delusion can be Hurtful to people around him, so what?
1: And, and dangerous, right? Because he has that whole scene where that band of traveling rogues—they're uh, yeah. robbing him blind—and he believes they're these, uh, you know, crazy people from Africa who've come to tell him of a, a knight who's trapped in a dungeon somewhere, and he has to go rescue them. And he and Sancho find themselves robbed of their horses and all of their possessions and all of their money, and they have to go crawling back to the inn. So there's moments where the delusion becomes dangerous, but th- but there's also a core ideology and outlook that says, you know, we can be decent in a world that is utterly indecent to us. We can imagine ourselves as noblemen and noble women. We can imagine ourselves as people who treat our enemies well, who treat people with respect, who are striving after things that are good and positive and serviceful in a world that is none of those things.
0: And he believes that just one person doing it can make the difference i think there's 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 a line that says that in either the impossible dream or in the lead up to the impossible dream um that he's like if, if, if just one person that's what it is if just one man scorned and covered with scars still strove with his last ounce of courage to reach the unreachable stars um that that's his core belief and even so which even in the face of everyone telling him it's not true he will still stick to that because that's what's important to him just that he be able to to maintain and, this. And that
1: core outlook on life, that dream, the impossible dream, you know, punchline of Don Quixote, I think is separated from the delusion that he has a little bit. The delusion may be... Um, Maybe fostered it a little bit, but uh, you know Alonzo Quijana, the real person behind Don Quixote, the you know the the aged man that believes he's Don Quixote, still has that sort of core decency in the scenes that we get to see him in. A- and yeah. in that way, then the delusion of Don Quixote that he's a knight errant living in a world of giants and enchanters and castles, the delusion becomes more of a storytelling method. If it's a way for Cervantes to say. This is gonna seem crazy to you, that that there could be a person that believes that we can treat other people decently even when they don't treat us decently. It's gonna seem so crazy to you that the only way I can tell you about it is to tell you about a crazy person.
0: Hmm. Yeah. Who fights windmills and who, mm-hmm. yeah. Who- <laughs> and, and ultimately
1: one of the things that's so beautiful about the musical is that the prisoners sort of end up siding with Cervantes. And you believe that that group of prisoners in that prison probably had their lives changed. Who knows yeah. what they're going to go on to do. But they, that, you know, the end of the musical is they sing the impossible dream. To dream yeah. the impossible dream. They've taken on that core outlook.
0: Mm-hmm. Which which in the play within the play, I think this was the really fascinating thing is we also see all the characters then who they have been playing sing it with them as well. So it's, it's somehow Cervantes and Quixote have managed to get both worlds, both plays that are part of this play to sing along with them by the end of it. Kind of joining together the two worlds. It's it's a fascinating double layer. Yeah,
1: absolutely. The, the, the double layer is really a lot of why the musical works is that we live in this world of whimsy and fancy and comedy that is the world of La Mancha and then we see the implications that this core outlook of Don Quixote has on real people in a really hard situation. a lot of, a lot of it of their own making you know the Inquisition guards tell us that they're thieves and murderers. Now uh, you know it, it's tough to know who to believe they might right. not be that bad but but at the very least they're in a really tough spot.
0: So let's talk about, as we've been talking about the delusions, let's talk about the particular delusions by way of kind of getting into the story of, 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 this, of, this, of this play. Let's talk about the particular delusions he um, subscribes to. There's there's the, We've already mentioned the windmills, and this is a pretty famous one. Um, th- this play, this book, uh, Don Quixote, um, in general has supplied Western literature with quite a few phrases. Um, Tilting at windmills is something that is in the cultural vernacular. Um, the other one that I found when I was researching this was quixotic, um, which is, you know, something you believe which is impossible or irrational. And, and then I the, didn't... the whole uh, adjective of something being Quixote-esque, sort yeah. of an impossible
1: mm-hmm. quest that's futile.
0: Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. So, so tilting at windmills is uh, him charging at windmills with his lance and it, and him getting beaten back. And, and by And because this
1: windmill. why? What what's so he charges to fight a windmill? Why? What does he believe the windmill is? He believes it's a giant named Matagog, <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and and he has you know perhaps one of the larger delusions that he has is that his friend really all they are in real life is friends, Sancho. Is actually his squire uh, of a night errand that sort of works with him. And Sancho, of course, doesn't have any of these delusions. He's sort of along for the right. ride. And yep. so, the, really, the very first scene that has Don Quixote in it, they're chugging along, and Quixote says, "It's a giant. I'm gonna go fight it." And Sancho says, "It's a windmill." <laughs> <laughs>
0: Yep, and and <laughs> probably notably, uh, he he uh, Don Quixote believes that there is this antagonist to him called the Enchanter, and every time things go completely wrong, he often will blame the Enchanter for them going wrong. So he stumbles back from fighting the windmill, saying at the very last moment, the Enchanter turned the giant into a windmill and it defeated me.
1: <laughs> and Sancho, Sancho is a uh, kind to Quixote in that other than when he sees the delusions as dangerous, he doesn't really try to intervene, even though I think that he knows at some level his master is is quote-unquote master. He's not really his master, only in the world of the delusion. But I think that he knows that Quixote has these things that aren't real in his life. But Sancho chooses to follow him partially because I think of that inner outlook, that inner theme uh, of Quixote's life that Sancho actually Admires, you know. Underneath all the craziness, there's this core of human decency, the pursuit of the right, the willing to be charitable and hospitable and honorable that Sancho finds really admirable. So he participates in the delusions to a degree.
0: Yeah, and paves the way occasionally too uh, around uh, around Quixote. Um, one of the ones that pops to mind is <laughs> this. This barber comes up to the inn, and as the barber is walking by, they have this this large kind of brass bowl on their head. It's their like shaving bowl. And uh, and Don Quixote stops them and says, That's the uh, the golden helmet of Mombrino. Uh, Mombrino, yes. And and it renders the hero invulnerable to all wounds if they're wearing it. And the barber so this song happens, he takes the bowl from him, and the barber is saying, Gosh I think this guy is crazy. <laughs> I think he's a little cuckoo. And Sancho comes up to him and says, you better agree with him yeah, or else. Ba- Sancho
1: just basically <laughs> says, you better play along. <laughs> it's easier just to play along. It's, yeah. We know it's not the golden helmet of Mombrino,
0: but just go with <laughs> it. Just, it's all good. Roll along. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What are some others? Are there any other delusions that I'm uh, – we talked about the enchanter, the windmills, well, the Well, right. Bowl. I mean
1: the the inn is another of the major delusions that uh, s- shortly after being destroyed by the windmill, uh, Quixote says, look, I'm not really a knight. I need to find a lord of a castle to dub me a true knight. And he sees far off in the distance a castle on the peak. And Sancho sort of says, I think that's one of those really dangerous roadside inn filled with dangerous people that we should probably avoid. And Quixote says, come on, we're going to the castle. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yep. Um, and then probably the, the – the you know, the, one of the more prominent delusions in this is in that castle, the, the inn on the side of the road, he meets Aldonza. And um, – and certainly, as in terms of character interaction and plot-wise, this is one of the larger delusions he has. He he uh, sees her and decides that she is his uh, lady fair, as it were, and, uh, and renames her.
1: Who is Aldonza? Before we get to his delusion, who is she really?
0: Yeah, Aldonza is is uh, the 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 uh, kind of waitress at this inn, but she is also the uh, the prostitute who works at this inn. Um, she uh, there's there's I'm gonna say muleteers. Um, but it could be mule tears, um, but uh, the mule drivers, yeah, brigands basically. Mm-hmm. <laughs> who, uh, um, and and they are in the inn, and they are kind of constantly clamoring for her affections and uh, ver- in various ways. Uh, some attempts at romance are made, but more prominently, they just offer her money. Uh, Pedro, I believe, is the character who offers her money, and she accepts it. And um, what's
1: the opening song that Aldonza sings? Because that gives us some insight into of who she really is at the core or I guess I really shouldn't say who she really is. One of the questions of the musical is the difference between delusion and fantasy and who has the real delusions. So let's say who Aldonza at the beginning of the play believes she is.
0: Yeah, the first song she sings is "They're All the Same." Um, uh, one pair of arms is like another. I don't know why or who's to blame. She is uh, talking about her uh, experiences working in this inn and uh, basically hiring herself out in in one or one or another situation.
1: Right, and that all of these men that she's been paid to sleep with are all the same. And that there's there's really no difference in her life. Everything has become sort of the same gray blob of misery and uh, spite and bitterness and hurt. Um, and that's where she is in her life. And she has all these men who come to the inn and she entertains them all. And, and it, nothing is ever different for her.
0: Yeah. And then in walks Don Quixote. Um, and, and in terms of
1: um, uh, inciting incidents – she yeah. sings the song, they're all the same, they're all the same, and in walks a knight in shining armor.
0: Who, according to the stage directions, has, has lost his lance to the windmill and enters in with a tree, tree limb as his new lance. And his sword is
1: supposed to be bent into a corkscrew from the windmill. Yep. Yeah. But, I mean, it's, you know, for that character's journey, there's really no, no better example of just the classic inciting, you know, she sings, every day of her life is the same gray blah, <laughs> and then the delusional Don Quixote, knight in shining armor, enters the inn to shake things up.
0: Right, and not not only is he visibly very different from anyone else there, he also speaks to her in a very different way. Um, he, as I said, he kind of latches onto her as as the uh, his uh, his his lady and renames her <laughs> Dulcinea, um, and. Uh, there's a big song about it. He he at, is is basically asking her to to be his lady, and uh, and now that I've found you, the world will know your glory, and all this very flowery chivalrous sort of stuff. And she just consistently kind of bats him away, um, and says, "You don't know me, dude." <laughs> so no. Um, and then uh, ultimately, the, the that that moment ends with all the uh, mule drivers, the muleteers. Um, Kind of making fun of her with the same with the same song, and that sets up a, a kind of a dichotomy that we ride for a little while, where um, Don Quixote will say something and the muleteers will throw it in her face uh, over and over throughout the play.
1: And, and of course, it's a power move to some degree, right? Because uh, Don Quixote appears and says to. Dulcinea Aldonza, he says to her, you know, you're this beautiful woman that I've always dreamed of. You're pure and honorable and right, and and I'm going to do great deeds in your name so that, you know, your glory might be seen. And the muleteers can see that there's a place here where someone treats aldonza kindly and they say if we treat her you know if we use that against her we get to gain more power over her as uh you know as this the servant girl that we can sleep with all the time so they they do that several times throughout the play and the first one i think is one of the more heartbreaking moments of the play you see this you know this I mean, this broken, hurt woman Aldonza being treated with dignity and honor and affection by Don Quixote. And then the muleteers turn right around and they sing. It's it's terrible. They sing the same words, uh, but in just a very different tone.
0: Right, yeah, absolutely. A very mocking tone. Very, uh, and that happens more than once. Cervantes comes on and kind of teaches them re- this one really sweet song about a little bird, and they they wrap it back around to being derogatory towards Aldonza again. So it's it's a pretty consistency uh, between them. Um, I think uh, one of, this character Aldonza is is the the main female character of this play. There's two more that we will get to, but she is the the main female character in this one, and she has an additional song that is not in my copy of the script. Yeah, and it's, it's actually
1: ca- not in most script copies. It was in, I think, either the movie or one of the Broadway musicals, and then when we did the the, the musical in college, we used that song because it's so effective, I think. Are, are you talking about why mm-hmm. does he do the things he does?
0: Yeah, yep, yeah. it was also done and I believe it was done in the 2002 version of the of the play, but I think I think it does have roots in one of the, one of the older productions. I think you're right, either the movie or or the older Broadway productions. And and let's talk about that song uh either being kept or omitted from it for a second because I think it is an important song for uh Aldonza to be singing. It provides a pretty pretty substantial transition in my opinion for her as a character and, and three dimensionalizes her because otherwise she kind of goes from that first song, um, where, where she comes in, uh, they're all the same. She kind of turns down, uh, Don Quixote a bunch and then suddenly does a 180, uh, uh, later on in the play. But what do you what do you think? Do you think that's what the song is doing, providing providing um, a bit more? Or I, I something don't else? think
1: that I agree with your characterization of it, it being too sudden without that song. I, I I'm really fond of Aldonza's journey through the play. I think the song is a really effective way to highlight the the kinds of things that Aldonza is trying to think about in terms of who Don Quixote is. Uh, but I I don't think that it provides any pivotal missing piece. I'm I'm very fond of the song and I wish it would be included in a script copy because I just like it so much. But I Mm -hmm. don't feel like the musical is is lacking besides it. Aldonza has, I think, this really carefully plotted journey to to being sort of swept up in Don Quixote's imagining of her and of the world that then eventually comes crashing down around her in another of the more heartbreaking scenes of the play. Because, you know, Don Quixote sings Dulcinea, this beautiful, and she's sort of shocked and doesn't know what to do. Then the muleteers throw it back at her and mock her with it. And then she's visited by Sancho, where he brings this love letter missive to her, uh, and she she doesn't know what to do with this missive that he's brought. And then she asks Sancho why he follows Don Quixote, even though he knows it's a delusion. And he says because he's you know we just like him. He's 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 fun to be around and positive, and it's worthwhile to be with him. And she she hears this, and then she goes and has this conversation before the impossible dream too, where she hears about what that core ideology is underneath the delusion. And I think that that journey is one that a lot of characters follow where they immediately see the delusion of Don Quixote and reject him because of that and then they hear the core of his beliefs about human decency and honor and and and, and respect for each other and pursuing the right and that's when they start to get swept up in the delusion themselves. Um, the the song is a really great, highlighting of that journey it's sort of a way to encapsulate it for her for those of you who have only read the script you can find the song in several of the different musical versions like on spotify or or wherever um and the song is why does he do the things he does you want to explain it for us jackson
0: yeah, it's, it's the scene after, uh, or at least where we put it in, I believe it's the scene after uh, Sancho says, I like him, basically. He sings this long, really funny song about uh, just that I like him. And, and she takes a moment after he leaves, assumedly, and kind of sings about why does he keep doing these things I, I don't understand. Um. Why? Uh, why does he batter at walls that won't break? And 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 and. Uh, why
1: does he call me Dulcinea? And, mm-hmm. and and why is he treating these people so well and honorably? And then no,
0: the notable line of the song, I think, is "And what does he want of me?" Right. Which feeds in. Which I think again. I really like this song and I think I think it's pivotal. I think there are there are things in there that that set up things for me that make this character much more three-dimensional. Um just personally, things like that. That that line um occurs again. She she does not believe that he doesn't want anything from her. Because she's um, only
1: surrounded by men who want one thing of her, primarily.
0: Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so so I think it sets up some really nice things for later. And I think it also gives her more stage time, which I think yes. is, is I really essential that. in this play. Um I, I'm I'm a little reminded of our conversation about Hurley Burley with this play and how women in Hurley Burley are primarily used as saviors um, <laughs> of, of the situation. And this one is is leans full into that theme and kind of claims it as something for the device of it. She is she hmm. is that's um, interesting.
1: Um, yeah, yeah. Let's, I don't let's think I agree with bit. you. I okay. think that that is certainly the delusion of Don Quixote, I- mm-hmm. is that, you know, Dulcinea is this pure figure in white, this glory, beautiful. Uh, ultimate per- thing that I will pursue and and that will be the core of everything that I am this dulcinea uh, and 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 that certainly has some sexist roots uh, obviously of the the beliefs about women at the time and things like that but I think that I'm not sure that the the musical really paints Dulcinea or Aldonza as the savior character in any way. In fact, she's really a person that needs saving, that needs someone. She's almost more of a damsel in distress than a uh, – and and that's sort of what uh, Don Quixote imagines differently than the world around him. is. Aldonza really is this person who's in this struggling, terrible, hard situation and needs, in this case, a man to come and lift her out of it and Don Quixote says well actually what you really are is this you know beautiful thing worthy of pursuit and both of them have some problems
0: right right that's that's really inter- i i <laughs> this is going to be fun um so so i i think that i agree that's that's uh, a good way a good way to to do it i i think i think i have an almost mirror image and this is going to be really fun um <laughs> of of that which is i think cervantes is the one who needs to be saved and oh, okay, aldonza okay. is the well, one well, i'm who just saves talking him. about
1: the musical part of it i agree <laughs> well, no, with no. that statement that cervantes yeah, ultimately is the one that needs saving
0: right oh i'm sorry sorry I, I'll, I'll i'll be i'll be even more so don quixote is the one who is he's saved by aldonza at the end the only reason we have an end is because aldonza breaks past pedro his niece and the doctor to say the words back to him. Um, she she is pulled physically pulled away at the end of the play. This scene was really fun to do. Uh, a good friend of mine, Rachel Starkenberg, played Aldonza in this, and she just like nailed this last yeah. scene. And and Rachel, uh,
1: if you're listening, that was a remarkable performance. Uh, yeah. I don't know that I ever told you this. I should have, but your <laughs> performance as Aldonza, uh, I wish more people had seen it. It might go down as one of the performances of Aldonza.
0: Yeah, yeah, but that that last scene, she she fights to restart Don Quixote, who has um we this is this is jumping around a bit. Don Quixote has uh, kind of fallen off of his dream. He. Uh, Oh man, this is going to be tough to sum up, but I'm going there anyway. His his the person who is marrying his niece came and like broke his delusion because he really needed to, and we might get around to why that is because it's a fun series of scenes. But he broke his delusion, got him basically to pass out, and brought him home. And when he wakes up, he is now Alonso Quijana, and uh, he is not he doesn't remember that he was ever Don Quixote. So he is. Essentially, dying. He's this kind of older, um, kind of infirm man. He's writing his will, and at that moment, um, Aldonza breaks in and reminds him of the dream, and 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 kickstarts his brain again. Tells him that she needs him to uh, remember the dream because it's important. And it and it, and but but and, but
1: why is it important that he does? Because well, because it's the dream to her. saved her. Yeah, it's important to her. This horrible life as an abused woman at an inn, and I think that might be the point where the musical sort of transcends this sort of men either save women or women either save men, both being problematic, into this world where you know Don Quixote's core vision is that we save each other. We sort of mm. as a team help each other forward into the impossible dream because the only reason Aldonza can be there to save – or Dulcinea or her, whatever you call her can be there to save him from his you know, rough life of being a dying old man is that he was there to save her initially.
0: Right, so it's the. I agree with that actually a lot. That it's the idea that has saved both of them, and both of them committing to it at different points along the way is what saves them in the end. I and, like that. And, and that that's I think, a good let's reconciliation. See if you
1: agree <laughs> with this Jackson, having played Don Quixote, I believe that Aldonza's journey from being Aldonza to being Dulcinea at the end, she even claims it. My name is Dulcinea. She says as potentially her last line. Um, I believe that that journey is the core journey of the musical part of the sh- of the play. Uh, hmm. That that Don Quixote's story is maybe the driving factor. He's maybe the main character, but the story that we follow is the rescuing of Aldonza, the the redeeming. Let's say redeeming rather than rescuing. The redeeming of Aldonza.
0: Yeah. Um, s- s- I think I think I I think I would agree with you there. I think that without without that he'd just be this this story would just be some weird man wandering around doing crazy things. Right. Um which is not a story. Um or it's 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 just not not a good story. <laughs> um and and so I think I agree that with with Aldonza's journey is the the pivotal part of the play that uh winds up proving some of his ideas is correct. Um you can't you can't walk away from it and, saying and this that he was a, completely wrong.
1: Yeah, and this isn't a good argument for that, but it is something that I feel which is that the scenes that surround Don Quixote's part of the plot which are you know the 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 doctor coming to try to redeem him or to actually to break his delusion and the the padre and that sort and his family all worried about him, those parts of his story that actually, you know, change him in some way, feel more like subplot to me. There are scenes mm. that are thrown in every once in a while, and then brought around to a conclusion that feels like the climax when the night of the mirrors arrives. Until you see the real climax played out later. Yeah. And actually, what the play, what what the play Man of La Mancha by Dale Wasserman, not the play within the play, does so wonderfully is it makes the ending. Something new. Can you explain that a little bit for us, Jackson? That Cervantes believes the story ends, or at least has believed the story ends with the Night of the Mirrors destroying Don Quixote and Aldonza because Aldonza is part of the plot. We haven't even talked about this part of it. <laughs> Aldonza has just been beaten and raped by all the muleteers after finally getting on board with Don Quixote a little bit, dreaming his impossible dream, believing she might be this Dulcinea he's been after. And then she's beaten and, and tortured by the muleteers uh, because she was going to tend to their wounds like Don Quixote wanted her to. Um, and so she's kind of destroyed and says, you know, you." she has this horrible, heart-hurting song about all the pain she's been through. And that's where she's at. He's a liar. He's torturing me with this vision of greatness. And Don Quixote then is destroyed by the Night of the Mirrors. And Cervantes says, that's the end of the play, everybody. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. And And... Yeah, so so he says that in the prison. Um, I think after one of the captains of the guard kind of break in and tell him he's going to be sent to trial. Um, and he says, that's it. We're done. And uh, th- all the prisoners say, no, you're not done. That can't be where the story ends. <laughs> right. That, there's no way you're not going to because do that. If
1: that's where the story ends, then the story is about how Don Quixote's vision of a world of human decency and honor and generosity, you know, that that can't be real. That right. all that does is end up destroying people's lives. You mm-hmm. have to live in the real if that's where the story ends.
0: Right. But, which, <laughs> which is not where the story uh-huh. ends, though. He manages to bring together a, a second part of the the ending. An improv
1: alternate or ending <laughs> yep. or maybe a sequel of some sort. And mm-hmm. that and then when you see the sequel, you realize where the real climax is, which is Aldonza rescuing Don Quixote. And so that, for me, the, that through line of Aldonza's journey of being redeemed and then lost, and then she helps to redeem him at the end, is, I think, the core story. because Don Quixote's story ends with the Night of the Mirror, if not for Aldonza.
0: Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. I think I completely agree with that. And then the climax happens happens towards the end, where they all the three of them, Sancho um, and Aldonza and Don Quixote are all singing um, "I Am I, Don Quixote" together. Because if if you uh,
1: remember. Uh, one, You know, an image of the play, I think, one of the images that you're really going to remember is Aldonza singing to dream the impossible dream to Alonzo Quijana as he believes he's not Don Quixote. He says, I don't remember you. Who are you? And she sings to dream the impossible dream and brings him back. And, yeah. you know, that's for me the turning point of the show.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, I completely agree with that. Yep we there's there's so much more I want to talk about on this show, but I'm so glad we talked about the things we've talked about. But let's like say a couple more of our favorite p- moments and just kind of ping pong around, yeah. <laughs> and for for the end of this, um, the the the, <laughs> the the show is filled with these moments, these retinal images, like where uh, uh uh Aldonza saves Don Quixote. The other one, the kind of antithesis, is where the Knight of the Mirrors comes, and uh the Knight of the Mirrors is played by the uh the duke who is prosecuting him and uh and And, and the uh,
1: duke is playing this doctor who is going to marry uh don quixote's niece and they're worried about him because he's a madman and the reputation so the the doctor says i'm gonna go cure him and they go at one point and sort of fail and the doctor returns in full knight in shining armor
0: and, and what what happens well, he cures him by surrounding him with mirrors. Cures, quote unquote. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. like he, he removes the delusion from him by surrounding him with mirrors, which I think is such a poignant. That image is one that sticks with me. Is it's it's super hard. <laughs> for him to sustain these delusions when confronted with the reality of himself. Um, And and that that kind of leans into why Cervantes ends there. I think that's part of Cervantes' doubts about it is... When it all comes down to it, I'm, you know, this kind of getting older, somewhat bad poet, actor type who keeps getting arrested for stuff. Uh, mm-hmm. So I think that that ties into the guilt is whenever he looks at himself, it's really hard to sustain this, this front for everyone.
1: Well, and – you know, I'm I'm not sure how the uh, Cervantes, the real author, imagined it in Don Quixote, the novel, and I don't know how Dale Wasserman imagined it when he wrote the musical. But I think in most productions, the you know the armor and the swords and the lance and stuff that he uses are not real. That Don Quixote wears are not real. So when he looks in a mirror, all he sees is this sort of fakie uh, imagining of himself as a knight, not a real knight in shining armor.
0: Yeah, it's like costume stuff and, uh, you know, uh, uh, in, in the production we did, it was like a fake beard and mustache for when uh, it was Don Quixote. And, well, but the beard so, yeah. and
1: mustache would have also been Alonso Quijana's, and I, I think I'm saying that right, but I apologize if I'm not. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, but, but, you know, Quijana puts on all of this stuff, this helmet and armor and a lance and a sword to become Don Quixote, and I think in most productions, the stuff that he uses, like you mentioned, the lance is just a tree branch and the sword... His yeah is yeah. corkscrewed from the windmill and his armor is not real. And yeah. so when he sees all of that, he says, oh, this is a delusion. This is just yeah. me pretending to be a knight. I don't have mm-hmm. the real armor, the real lance, the real sword, etc." cetera.
0: Yeah, which ends up breaking him down and, and that's, that's where we then follow through to the end of the scene. Right.
1: I think an, another of the moments that I, I really find very poignant is the the, the character of the padre as a character that I really liked through the story. He's on the side of wanting to bring... A Don Quixote away from his delusion, but you get the sense that it's out of genuine concern for him, and that he has he has real doubts about whether what he's doing is right. He's working with the doctor, who's really arrogant. Er- I think Cervantes describes the doctor as a man who who carries his own self-importance as if he's afraid of breaking it. Yeah, you know, he's yeah. very arrogant and 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 logical as the end all be all, and so he wants to break. Quixote's delusion because he can prove that he can do it. The padre wants to do it out of genuine concern, and you see him doubt whether that's the right course of action several times. At one moment, the doctor says, you know, we're going to cure him. And the padre says a really beautiful line, the cure may it not be worse than the disease. I think he mm-hmm. sees that Quixote lives in a world of real decency and truth and pursuit of things that are right. And the padre being a religious man might say, I have some echoes of that. I can see the sort of core good in that. And he has some wonders about w- whether forcing someone to envision a reality that is dark and harsh and brutal is really the, uh, the best.
0: Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. I like the Padre a lot because he kind of presents presents the complicated morass that some of us live in of of that wondering of like I want to do the the good thing. I want it to be healthy for him. I want him to be happy, but. I got to do something about it because it's 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 something's got to change. He's hurting people. Um, so I, he's also just a, a wonderfully funny character. There's there's some great scenes with the Padre where he he tries to manipulate the doctor around a little bit, tries to get him to do it out of greed and switches him around to doing it for pride. you know the challenge. Yeah, the pride. There's a great confessional song, the uh, I'm only thinking of him, which takes place between uh. uh Don Quixote's niece, and Antonia, and the housekeeper, where they're just just thinking about him, but there's all these things that are affecting them, that they're kind of at a confessional box with the padre singing at him, and he's ping-ponging back and forth between them. It's a really well-constructed scene. Mm
1: -hmm. And I, I think, Jackson, let's spend the rest of our time just talking about the last few moments of the real Man of La Mancha play. So, we've kind of talked you through the plot. Uh, Quixote becomes, you know, his delusion is broken. Dulcinea arrives and rescues him. But then, in the midst of him being rescued and singing, I, Don Quixote, again with, Aldon, with Dulcinea and Sancho at his side, he dies. He has, I don't know, a heart attack. Uh, what did you play, Jackson? Did you play something specific that caused yeah, him I'm- to die?
0: I played heart attack. That seemed to be the the one
1: obvious option. I think that would be the easiest to to make sense of. And and he dies. And Sancho is sort of heartbroken and my master is dead. Everything's over. The the world has brutalized him. It's, It's over. And how does Dulcinea respond to that, Jackson? What's the end of the musical play within the play?
0: Yeah, well, she's, she tells Sancho to continue to believe that, that Don Quixote is not dead. A man died, but Don Quixote is not dead. And you just need to keep believing.
1: And um, so she sort of embraces this delusion, but yeah. it, it might be a self-aware delusion, which might be sort of the best version of Don Quixote, <laughs> which is to say, I, I know that this isn't, the real reality of what's going on, but I also know that the world can be better than this. And so I can envision a, a more decent, loving, good world.
0: Yeah, and, and, and it will be better if we continue to believe it. And she, They and take then of course on the mantle. The,
1: the, the beautifully striking, uh, Sancho says, Aldonza, he's, you know, he's dead. And she says, I'm not Aldonza. My name is Dulcinea. And that's kind of the end of the play within a play. Mm-hmm. beautiful end it's it's a roller coaster there at the end where <laughs> yep. Aldonza feels like she's rescued from all this and then she's beaten and raped and, and brutalized and Quixote comes back and tries to get her again and he's torn apart by the knight of the mirrors and then Dulcinea <laughs> arrives to rescue him from his sanity and bring him back and they sing a song and they're they're back together the three of them and then he dies <laughs> <laughs> and then the, that final uptick of it's okay the the dream lives on. The impossible uh, lives on in us.
0: Yep. Mm-hmm. Which which then we're grabbed out of again. By the captain of the guard of the inquisition back in the real world, the in the world of the play, um, the play, not the play within the <laughs> not play, the, not the play the, within the, the play, the
1: trial, not the trial within the trial,
0: <laughs> right? Right, right. <laughs> um, the captain of the inquisition comes in and summons Cervantes to come upstairs for questions, yeah,
1: and and so. The storytelling is over and now Cervantes and his manservant we haven't even really mentioned that there, Cervantes he has like a servant that is with him that ends up playing Sancho. And so there's that, there's that level of that character too. So Cervantes and his servant now are, are going to have to face the real world again, which is that they're going to be tortured and likely burned alive as, as a part of the Inquisition. And so he has this moment of these goodbyes with the prisoners whose lives he may have changed forever with this story of beauty and truth in a world of darkness and hurt.
0: Hmm, which is impossible to separate from the characters that we just saw. Like the the goodbye between him and the 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 prisoner who played Aldonza is a poignant moment. The goodbye between him and the innkeeper slash the governor is gonna be poignant. Uh, those those moments of goodbye kind of rend you because it they've they've become close on multiple levels now. Um, but additionally. There, there, there's the, the, the fact that they all begin to sing with him.
1: Well, let's, let's not get there yet because there's one more moment that I really love. It's yeah, something yeah. that the Duke says. And uh, there's, there's some passing of the manuscript. I can't tell from the stage directions here whether this is something Dale Wasserman envisioned or whether our production just did it. But in our production, Quixote lets the prisoners keep the manuscript um, uh, uh, of the story. And that's a really beautiful moment, the manuscript that he's fought so long to not have burned. Um, you know, The story <laughs> of Don Quixote, he knows he's going to go die likely, so he leaves that story of Don Quixote with the prisoners in a physical way. And then the Duke says, uh, uh, Don Quixote is brother to Don Miguel uh, as a, a sort of way that he says goodbye. And I think what he's saying is, I, I see that Don Quixote pursuit of the truth and the right and the the fantastic in the midst of the mundane and the harsh. I see that in you as well. It's not I, I think that this story might be about you at some deep level.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. To which to which uh Cervantes kind of acquiesces and says, you know, yeah, you're, yeah, we pretty much are. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, <yeah. laughs> yep. and, and
1: actually, now that I'm thinking of that, I think that the Duke just said it in our production. The governor is the one who says the, the Don Miguel is brother to, to Don Quixote in that line. But we had the Duke say it, which is a different kind of poignancy, which I like. But even the governor saying it, it's sort of a way – a, a way to to say goodbye to that relationship as you inspired us in the same way that quixote changed the lives of the people around him.
0: Yeah, definitely. And brings together these kind of powerful figures in the in the dungeon uh, whichever one you choose to to have it be, um the, the the they are brought together and unified at that last moment which Pulls us into uh, the actress who played uh, Aldonza starting to sing The Impossible as Dream.
1: Cervantes and his manservant are marched off to face torture and death at the hands of the Inquisition. Mm-hmm. The prisoner who is Aldonza, and who, if probably you're, as a, you know, if you're the director in the production team, you're going to have that prisoner who ends up being Aldonza be a similarly mistreated prisoner. In the prison scene, there's some like pre-Cervantes prison scenes you get to play out um, without lines, so you're probably going to have her be a sort of similarly hurt and mistreated prisoner.
0: Yep, yep, and she so that that character begins to sing him out, <laughs> sing him and Sancho out as they very slowly walk out, uh, kind of listening to everyone, uh, begin to pick up the melody with her as well. You, you get the, you absolutely, we've said it already before, but this is the physical manifestation of the prisoners being changed by this story. Um, they, they are singing the impossible dream, even, even when Cervantes and is, is not, um, uh, in, in other scenes, he comes, on and teaches them how to sing things but he is not right now he's going out to he b- believes he could die after this um and and it is they who sing sing his dream for and him and
1: yeah obviously that's just a, a hugely impactful end to the musical if you've never seen it i had the the fortunate blessing to see this musical twice and to be in it now once and hopefully again i'd love to direct it someday but it's just a hugely impactful ending to watch this these people sing such a powerful song, but, you know, the, these people who are hurt and broken in their own way sing about the pursuit of the right and the good. And the, even when things are impossible, we can, we can still strive to do what's best.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: That's the end of our conversation, I think. Jackson was waiting there for me to say that this time. <laughs> uh, I I have such affection for this musical. I could talk about it a long time. I'm sure my wife is sick of having me talk about it all the time. <laughs> uh, I, I just love it. Uh, easily top three favorite musicals. Um, maybe, maybe my favorite musical ever. I, I, I have such affection for it. It has such deep – because I'm a person of faith, it has such deep-rooted implications for for faith and and that journey. But it also has some just really beautiful things to say about the redemption of people too and especially Al journey. It just has stuck with me since the very first time I encountered the story.
0: Yeah, I agree. This is such a great play. I I I loved being involved with it uh, back when I was and and getting to read it this time with a fresh perspective was really informative to me. You know, however many years it's been, I'm not going to figure that out at the moment. But uh, <laughs> but however many years it's been, it it changes the view of some things for me, and I think it still still resonates all over the place. But it was so fun to get to kind of dig into it again and and wrestle with those themes which are just as prominent now the the question of how do you live your life in the face of a world that is full of a lot of problems mm-hmm. is is always going to be a prominent question so would you want to th- play
1: Don Quixote again Jackson Would you want to have another crack at it
0: I'd want another crack at it when I'm 40. I want to be the age that he's supposed to be. Um, I think that was my biggest problem was that I was playing, you know, I was a 20-something, very young 20-something person trying to play weight of someone with life experience. And so I would would definitely like another crack at it again in like 20 years.
1: Yeah, I I, (laughs) – You know, I love to perform, but I, I've sort of moved past the, the point in my life where there's a lot of roles I really want to act and into the world where, as a director, that's mostly what I want to do. So I'd be happy to be in it again, but the next thing that I really, really want to do is direct the show. Yeah. It's, it's so beautiful. I think interacting with it at that level would be really, really impactful and important for me. <laughs>
0: Yes, indeed. Well, I know that there are some of you who are listening to this that were in it because a couple of you are our friends that were <laughs> in it with us. <laughs> um, so if any of you have anything to add uh, to this conversation, if, if you feel like there's a, a facet that you really want to dig into or that maybe we missed something that was a really important, prominent part of the show, we'd love to hear your thoughts on it as well. Whether you read it, watched it, listened to the music, sung Impossible Dream for something or uh, anything else. So we'd love to t- continue the conversation with you. Uh, you can find us on Facebook's, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, email at noscriptpodcast at gmail.com. And the username is at noscriptpodcast on all the social medias. Find us on there. Shoot us a comment. Let's keep the conversation going.
1: If you like this episode, if you've liked some of our other episodes, please share it on your social media of choice. And also, please just tell people about the podcast. You like scripts. That's likely why you're listening to the podcast, or you just really love Jackson, right? Hey, thanks. Uh, But if if you're not one of our dear loved ones that just listened to it for that, you're probably somebody that likes scripts. So you know people that like scripts. Tell them about it. Let's continue to grow the No Script group as we uh, investigate more and more of these really great treasures of dramatic literature. You can find the podcast where it's hosted on Podbean. There's a Podbean app if you want to download that. We're also on Spotify, Google Play, and Apple Podcasts. One of the easiest ways to find the podcast is just to find the link on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter when it's published every Monday.
0: Yes, indeed. So until next week, when we are coming at you with another play and anticipating Arthur Miller Month even more, I am Jackson Nikolai. I'm Jacob Mann Christensen. Thank you all for listening. We'll see
1: you next Monday. See ya.